Hi everyone and welcome to the Green Minds podcast today. I'm very excited to be joined by Angela de Mananas. How are you doing today, Angela? I'm fine. What about you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, so Angela is uh, in CEO of a um, really exciting uh, agri-tech startup called FAA Bio. First of all, could we just find out a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so as you rightly say, I am Angela de Manzanos, uh, <laughs> I am um, CEO and co-founder of FAB Bio, which was formerly known as Fungator. Um, and uh, about myself, so originally I studied biotechnology in Spain, where I am from, actually in a school of agricultural engineers. So I've always been very interested or driven uh, or applying um, my scientific skills into uh, trying to solve some of the world's most pressing challenge. And with this passion, after I finished my degree, I came to London, to Imperial College in 2011 to study a master research in chemical biology of crop protection and sustainability at the Institute of Chemical Biology, the chemistry department. Following my master's, I did a PhD as well in the uh, Department of Chemistry of Imperial College London. And during the PhD, I teamed up with Carrie O'Donnelly Weaver, who was doing the PhD in the same research group as me. And we were both very driven of applying our skills to help with uh, agriculture and agricultural sustainability in order to be able to uh, provide uh, tools that will be able to help feed in uh, future generations. And that's why uh, we joined different entrepreneurial competitions during our time at Imperial. Fungular was born and yes, yeah, since 2016, both of us have been full-time employees of our company. Amazing, amazing. So I, I've, I'm gathering that Imperial had quite a big impact on your, on, on the start of your in, entrepreneurial journey. Right, yeah, Imperial was fundamental. Um, I think Imperial um, does uh, deliver that ecosystem to students, um, especially uh, it also encourages the students to explore their entrepreneurial side and we did take advantage of it. So I do recommend that if you're an Imperial student, uh, do uh, take advantage of those opportunities. Um, uh, Imperial is a great, I would say, um, force in order <laughs> to put uh, your idea into into a business. Amazing, amazing. So I, I suppose, um, what was what gave you inspiration for the idea then of of FAO Bio, or as it was previously known as Fungialet? Right. So. As I mentioned, Karen and I were doing our PhD in crop protection and sustainability under the supervision of uh, Laura Barter. And we had the opportunity to attend many events with uh, key stakeholders in the agricultural industry. And we were very aware of the challenges that agriculture uh, was facing. And one of them was about the appearance of uh, resistance to fungicides or crop protection products. So we came up with this idea of developing a tool 
that will be able to alert about the presence of fungal diseases in soils before growers were seeing visual symptoms with the aim of them being able to guide their fungicide applications, limit the applications of fungicides and limit the appearance of resistance. And that's yeah. how our initial idea of Fungular was born. Sure. Um, and that was back in 2015. Mm. Since 2015, uh, as I said, we joined different entrepreneurial competitions, uh, in particular three of them. Uh, we won the three of them. Uh, one, we were finalists, but we won two of them. And we also won a patent application. We also won mentorship. And when we finished our PhD, our then mentor invested in us and became our executive chairman. That allowed us to span out the company and we moved into Rothamsted Research Center. That's where we have been since 2016. And 2016 to 2018, we tested our technology, we developed it, we did proof of concept studies, filed further patent applications. And 2018, we started working with growers, testing our technology in commercial fields. And working with growers, we realized that they were not only interested in knowing what pathogens they had in their soil, but also what good microbes might be there. So that made us uh, update our technology and we developed a tool that was able to detect by any microbes that were active in the soil, not only pathogens, but also potential beneficial microbes that were having a positive impact on the crop yield. So in 2019, we updated our technology and we started commercializing our soil microbial analysis and working with growers again and developing this service uh, to growers. We were realizing as well that growers were spending a lot of money on crop protections, um, technologies or techniques that were not being very effective for them. So growers were telling us, you are detecting these beneficial microbes in my soil that might have activity as a biofungicide. And I'm spending so much money with this commercial biofungicide that sure. is not working. If you are getting this microbe from my soil or you are detecting this microbe in my soil, mm. why don't you multiply it, you give it to me. And because it comes from my soil, from my field, for sure is going to be effective and is going to act against the diseases that I have in, in, my, in my crop. Um, so with this realization, we uh, decided to pivot or evolve sure. our business model or our activity, not only from developing diagnostic tools for growers, but also to discovering treatments sustainable treatments based on microbes for Amazing. growers. So, so what kind of, um, you mentioned that the, the, the growers that you were speaking to and working with, they were using technologies before which were quite expensive. So what kind of things were they, were they doing? Uh, what kind of, yeah, what, what kind of techniques were they using out of curiosity? Right, so in terms of diagnostic techniques, um, yeah. much to be honest. Okay. <laughs> so it was all, based on visual 
uh, assessment all based on crop losses. Um, that's uh, how they knew that they had a problem. Sure. But um, that's too late to treat when you see the symptoms. It means that the disease has already spread. Uh, you cannot stop it. You need to stop it before you see the symptoms. That's why our spore sense analysis that allows to detect the microbes active in the soils before seeing visual symptoms allows sure. for a more effective uh, application of crop protection techniques. Sure. In terms of crop protection techniques, um, most of the growers use fungicides, or some of them they also use biofungicides. Mm. So biofungicides are biological alternatives um, based on living microorganisms or maybe compounds that come from natural sources that might have as well a fungicide activity. Uh, however, uh, biofungicides are not always very robust or versatile um, because um, agricultural companies or manufacturers of biofungicides um, use them as a silver bullet, so one microbe fits all. Okay, and that's quite dangerous, I imagine. <laughs> I suppose, what were the main challenges that you encountered initially when developing the idea? Because, of course, it's quite, it's it's new, it's different. So, what were the, what were the challenges that you encountered? Sure, so when you have an idea and you want to develop a business out of this idea, you obviously need to test that that idea works, in our case, it has been a scientific or biotech-based idea. You need access to a lab, to the right equipment, to the right consumables. And although we were very lucky to have access to that at Imperial, we were also lacking a lot of those resources due to budget constraints. And I guess that was one of the biggest challenges. And I know that's one of the biggest challenges uh, that entrepreneurs face at the very beginning, especially tech entrepreneurs. And then also uh, you do have a period, especially with tech or biotech companies, you do have a period where you are burning costs and not generating revenue. Um, that um, cannot be attracted for a lot of investors. So access to finance can be a problem. Also, I guess that when you develop a technology, an idea, so as a scientist, you are very, let's say, protective of your idea or you're yes, yeah. in love with your baby. <laughs> testing it with users, you do get feedback that you didn't anticipate. And that also forced you to, to adapt. And sure. I guess that um, restriction barrier at the very beginning when you come from academia, it can be quite high and sure. it can be a bit painful, but you learn with time to be agile and lean sure. and adapt to, to your user's feedback. Absolutely. So uh, you, you touched upon a big part of how you have to almost you have a concept and then it will almost be your what you conceive that you would like it to be. But then how do you almost keep that sense of detachment of, OK, this is what's best for the product? How did you manage to to kind of keep that perspective? Right. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> well, reality checks are yeah. <laughs> a, a company, right? Yeah. 
uh, it's quite important. You don't have to report to a board. You do have results. Yeah. You do have uh, expectations versus reality. And I guess, um, yeah, figures or feedback or adoption uh, is a very clear indicator yeah. of that. The results, yeah, the proofs in the pudding, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> um, so I suppose, um, you, what what would you say are the the main problems with conventional agriculture as it is currently the the, the landscape today? Right, so we can touch on various points. Maybe sure. I can start with a carbon footprint or greenhouse. Yeah, absolutely. We we would love to hear about that. <laughs> and I'm sure that with your background, you yeah. know about this probably more than me. But currently in the UK. Um, 10% of the country's greenhouse gas emissions come directly from agricultural activities. But there are other reports that take into account um, the, the emissions coming from land use change, and this is due to deforestation. And if we take into account these emissions, uh, agriculture is responsible for around 25% of the global greenhouse gas emissions, which is a staggering figure. But then if we look at nitrous oxide, for instance, emissions, um, agriculture is actually responsible for three quarters of those emissions due to nitrogen fertilizers wow. mainly. Yeah. So obviously agriculture do have a, a toll on the carbon footprint of the planet. Now, if we look at soil health, and I think soil health is, um, or improving soil health has been our visions since we started uh, back at Imperial. Um, and if we look at soil health, uh, intensive agriculture due to land conversion and the overuse of agrochemical has caused 70% of the global biodiversity destruction in the past 50 years. And this destruction yeah. of the soil biodiversity, especially the microbial biodiversity, is a leading cause of soil degradation. Now, let's talk about soil degradation. Like every minute, an area equivalent to 30 football fields, fertile soil, is lost due to soil degradation. And one of the main causes being agriculture. And it takes 500 years to create one inch of topsoil. So conventional agriculture does have a toll on our planet and on our soil health, especially in that we need to also be conscious that it's very easy to critique uh, farmers or conventional agriculture, but farmers are under a huge pressure to produce crop yields, especially uh, because some of them, they have very little revenue out of their practices. Um, and they have very little options, very little inputs that are really effective for them. And the ones that are more effective or more impactful are agrochemicals. Um, growers need uh, inputs like herbicides, pesticides, fungicides in order to produce a crop, a, the, the food that we need a, to feed the global population. So I think that uh, we do need to provide tools or sustainable inputs that can allow growers to keep producing you know, without having that toll on our planet. Sure, absolutely. 
So could you elaborate on what you meant by topsoil then? So as in you said, 500 years to regrow topsoil. Could you just touch upon that? Right, Please. so the topsoil is that the first uh, layer uh, of the soil uh, basically says uh, where crop grows and where all the microbes and the rhizosphere basically or the roots of, of the crops are. Sure. So I guess with traditional agriculture, when, you know, we're tilling and uh, that would kind of just displace it and then it's, it's yes. difficult to actually. Yeah. So plowing or tilling, these are practices that uh, conventional growers do at the end of the crop cycle or at the beginning of the crop cycle. And it's basically soil disturbance. Mm -hmm. um, does have an impact, a great impact on the soil biolo biology. In fact, like plowing, um, it's estimated that it has caused 90% of the destruction of the soil biology. Wow. That's, yeah, that's... Nuts. Yeah, I just don't know what to say to that. It's just yeah. it's quite intense to take in. It's um, interesting because there are initiatives such as the Soil Health Institute, you know, that are trying to demonstrate how uh, reducing tilling, ploughing, and the use of cover crops and cover crops, but cover crops, I mean, no cast crops. So in between crop cycles, um, you can plant crops that are just there to keep the soil structure. Um, basically, they cannot be sold. And a study, a recent study uh, carried out by the Soil Health Institute on Cargill um, basically found out that growers that were adapting adopting soil health practices for over five years uh, had a significant net increase. So that's uh, around double in corn and soybean uh, per acre, but also a significant reduce of cost. And this also helped them improve crop resistance to extreme uh, weather conditions. So definitely uh, managing better your soil uh, does uh, revert the benefit for for the pocket and for the environment amazing yeah amazing that's that, that's really it's it's great to hear that there's actually just more initiatives being taken place because um from my experience in india it's it's still smaller scale where rather than kind of being becoming the national consensus it's just like little pockets of movements but it's it hasn't that only does so much and it needs to become like a, a wider yeah. a wider transition let's say but but i think that uh, now with initiatives such as the soil health institute in the us or here in europe the farm to four uh, from the european green deal and i'm very sure uh in india i i think i've seen as well initiatives that are yeah. happening that are pro promoting uh a more uh, regenerative agriculture. They are just the seeds, you know, <laughs> to basically uh, grow uh, this movement of awareness about the need um, to respect our soil uh, for the future of the planet, especially for uh, the future of our uh, of our food. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, in terms of we we briefly touched upon this, but um, what do you what effect do farming techniques such as the use of pesticides um, have on crops? So yeah, interesting. So um, I think this November last year there was um, a report by 
and the Bureau for Appraisal for Social Impacts of Citizen Information, an NGO from Paris, from Paris that estimated that pesticides cost to the EU 2.3 billion euros, while um, the revenue that these companies were, were having or the profits that this company were having was 900 million euros. So it cost us three times the sales. <laughs> <laughs> And why is that? Uh, well, that's because um, pesticides, um, they are normally agrochemicals that are non-targeted. So they do have an impact on other species that rather than the target organism. So this has a significant effect on the environment, on the biodiversity, um, meaning that countries need to put measures to decontaminate the environment or also to protect the biodiversity. But not only that, as well, um, these uh, companies and farmers get subsidized as well. And we are putting a regulation framework around that, that all costs money to the taxpayers. And then I'm not saying here that there is a direct link between pesticides and human health diseases, but um, it is clear that they can have an impact, especially on the appearance of resistance to some of the drugs that we use, especially um, uh, fungicides or that we use for uh, fungal diseases. And there is a clear link um, between agricultural use of fungicides and the appearance of resistance to fungicides in healthcare. And obviously this reverts um, the economy, but also the human health. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, that's really interesting. I, I I never thought about it in, in that context as well, in terms of the, the fungal treatments as well. Um, so what what do you um, how do you feel that microbes can play? What role that can they play in um, producing more reliable yields? Then this is my favorite question. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> yeah, I can stay hours speaking about that. <laughs> so. I'm so, yeah. <laughs> so if you think about it, um, microbes, in particular fungi, were the ancestors of uh, roots. <laughs> um, actually, uh, trees or plants and fungi have lived um, in our relationship for over 450 million years, and they have evolved together. So microbes have a uh, great uh, role on making sure or helping in the crops or the plants um, grow. And in particular, if we look at different uh, roles, uh, one can be the absorption of nutrients from soils. So in natural ecosystems, crops don't get fertilized and plants grow. And that's because um, this symbiosis between microbes and trees basically help the plants uh, absorb nutrients that are locked in the soil and microbes actually make available for the plants. So microbes have a key impact on the absorption or the nutrient use efficiency. Then if we look at pests and disease resistance, microbes are also key uh, protecting the plant health and that's because microbes can act as direct competitors of pathogens or 
some of the microbes that protect the crops uh, from uh, predators can actually secrete substances that uh, deter um, pathogens or pests from the crops. And also microbes can trigger the immune response of the plant. So uh, some microbes, some beneficial microbes are very good um, and the terms are biopesticides or biofungicides. Then if we look at environmental stresses as well, uh, microbes are key for plants or crops uh, sur surviving suboptimal conditions, for instance, droughts and floods. Also high salinity, some microbes actually allow crops to live in high salinity environments or microbes are also able to decontaminate the soil uh, from heavy metals or pollutants, but also microbes are responsible for crops surviving suboptimal temperatures such as frost or high heats uh, in the desert. And then not only that, but as I said, microbes and um, plants have co-evolved in a relationship together for millions of years. Therefore, uh, this interaction is key for a good plant development. And in fact, we are seeing that some microbes, when supplemented to the crops, they actually uh, greatly promote the, the crop yield. Um, and then if we look at the flavor, uh, well, wine is a clear example of how microbes <laughs> can interact with crops, uh, but microbes are also play a key role or are responsible from some of the flavors that we love, such as the strawberry flavor, and also they can actually modify modify those organoleptic features of the crop. Wow. So it actually influences the taste as well then? Right, yeah, it does. Amazing, <laughs> had no idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Um, so you touched upon, because of course um, sea level rise is becoming a greater issue now and you touched upon how microbes can actually make um, crops more resistant to salinity as well so how could you just touch upon that how that how that works sure so there are a lot of research and I remember a professor from the university I study biotechnology in uh, uh, Polytechnic University of Valencia was doing a research about bacteria and how bacteria were able to allow rice uh, to grow um, in crops that were irrigated with high salinity water. Um, this is uh, because when well, microbes can have different activities, they can actually well, they interact with the roots, so they can desalinate the water in the root zone, or they can um, help uh, grow the plant or the hydroponic stress of the roots in those conditions. Okay. Wow, great. So can you share a couple of examples then of how FA Bio has been able to actually increase crop yield so with some of the growers that you've, you've been working with? Right, so I have to say that um, we have only been uh, carrying out this activity of discovering microbes that can help crops sure. uh, since uh, I would say officially one year, one year okay. and a half. Sure. So I have limited examples uh, yeah, that right. I can share yeah. with you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Point, that are yeah. Not confidential. But for instance, in one of the projects that we've done um, where we supplemented uh, the crop in this case, uh, berry crops. 
with some of the micros that we had discovered, uh, we showed that yes, the addition of those micros were able to increase the fruit weight by 63%. Wow. <laughs> yeah, wow. Compared <laughs> to non-treated, um, that is 50% compared to commercial products. So that was quite a staggering impact that yes, by addition the micro to the crop. Not only that, but we also show uh, in our studies that by uh, adding these microbes to the crop, they were able to use nutrients that were locked or immobilized in the soil. Okay, right. Okay, great. Yeah, that, that sounds that sounds very encouraging. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so I was I was interested in a blog that I came across on your website as well, and it, it touched upon how it can FAA bio can also help improve water quality as well. So um, could you just share how that is made possible? Right. So that has a lot uh, to do with uh, the nutrient use efficiency of crops. So what do I mean by nutrient use efficiency? That's basically the amount of the applied um, nutrient or fertilizer that is applied to the crop that the crop can actually absorb from the soil and use. Okay. Uh, if we look at the main fertilizers that are applied, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, they all have a nutrient use efficiency below 20%, right, right. meaning that the vast amount of the fertilizer or the nutrient that is applied to the soil is not absorbed by the crop. It's basically immobilizing the soil and the crop cannot use it. What happens then that uh, these uh, chemicals or this uh, amount of phosphorus, for example, that is not used by the crop, then leaches into fresh water, but also when it rains, it also goes into freshwater reservoirs and what happens then is that rivers or uh, freshwater reservoirs do have very high amount of phosphate that comes from agrochemical products. In fact, the environmental agency here in the UK reported that over 55% of the rivers uh, assessed in England uh, failed to achieve good ecological status due to this high level of phosphate. And this, what happens with this high level of phosphate then? So this high level of phosphate leads to algae bloom. So algae, yes, bloom in these environments and basically they deplete the oxygen to other living organisms that are in the water, such as fishes, invertebrates, human plants. Um, so uh, basically how can fungal or FA bio, sorry, uh, <laughs> with this water quality is by adding microbes to the soil that can help crops unlock those nutrients that are immobilized in the soil. And in fact, as I said uh, earlier, uh, some of the microbes uh, that we put in the crop, we saw that the plants were able to use phosphorus that was locked in the soil and um, without having to add any fertilizer Yes, by addition of these microbes. So that's how we see that with our microbes, we can help um, improve the water quality. Okay, interesting. So it's actually the microbes enable 
the plants just to absorb more of the nutrients. Right. So essentially. All right. Okay. Uh, really, that's interesting. So, and then I guess that kind of then that leads to the benefits of the increased size and then the the quality of the produce, essentially. Yeah. Ah, that's related. I don't say that's the direct link. <laughs> yeah, it's just it, yeah. yeah <laughs> that's that that would be the one that would make sense. <laughs> um, what do you think the significance of climate change is? when it comes to the future of agriculture. So uh, we, we, we briefly touched upon the uh, some yeah. of this because of course the droughts, flooding, things like <laughs> that. But um, yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts. Right, so <laughs> I can recap what you just said. Yeah. Obviously uh, climate change, increased temperatures um, is gonna put more pressure as well our availability to access fresh water. So we do need to have crops that are able to grow uh, under uh, water stress and as well soil salinity as we touch on, not only because of the lack of access to fresh water, but also higher temperatures means a higher evaporation rate from the soil, hence a higher soil salinity. Um, as well as uh, increased temperatures means that uh, crops, certain crops uh, need to be adapted to those uh, environments. And also climate change is going to bring new pests. So I do think that uh, here um, in the future, breeding technologies so be able to create new varieties that can um, resist and these conditions is going to be key. But not only that, we also need to uh, think about how can we provide sustainable or biological inputs to growers and that can allow them to uh, grow the, the crops that we need for, for, for feeding the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it is yeah, there's quite a few changes ahead, I guess, but there's also quite a, there's a lot of scope for innovation there as well. So I think um, that, that's that's really important. Um, so I guess what I would also want to ask you then is um, what what do you think is next for FA Bio? So, of course, you had a pivot within the last year or so, but uh, it's, it's always difficult to ask. But what do you see? Where do you see? What kind of trajectory do you want? Would you would you like to, or what path would you like to take in the next five years? Where um, what kind of things would you like to focus on? Right. We want to discover more microbes. Yeah. <laughs> we want to discover. Um, microbial active ingredients for biofungicides and biofertilizers and then establish strategic partnerships work with partners that can manufacture and commercialize these products so we need to or we are going to be carrying out uh, more discovery projects and we are also gonna be having greater number of uh, strategic partnerships um, for this, we need to grow our team, <laughs> and then so we need to further develop our discovery platform, and that's also gonna imply a fundraise. So we are gonna be fundraising a Series A uh, later this year. And basically, how we see ourselves is a uh, five years. I want to come here and tell you. Uh, 
how much our microbes are helping growers, you know, produce more um, and basically use less of the planet. So we do want to see our microbes uh, being used by growers and help them with their crop yield. Sure. And do, do you think that um, by using the microbes then perhaps there, there will be less, because of course huge regions of the world are taken up for agriculture and um, of course the population is continuing to grow. So do you foresee that the microbes can in a way mean that we'll have need less land for agriculture, but just far more efficient in some ways? Is that right? And that's a good point. Or right, so microbes can help uh, regenerate some of the degraded uh, yeah. lands as well. So yeah. it can help with that problem. But yeah, I, I do think that um, microbes are or biological crop inputs are going to be fundamental in order to be able to produce more, yeah, with less and even with less land. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. A lot of the people who will be listening to this um, this podcast will have aspirations of perhaps starting one of their own businesses or, or yeah, the, perhaps inspiring entrepreneurs. Um, so what kind of advice would you you pass on to them and, and what kind of insights would you like to share? Yeah, so I think it's key that when you are starting your journey that you really understand what your vision is, so, um, what problem it is that you are trying to solve or you're trying to help with, and then you can develop a mission around it. Uh, so how are you going to, how are you going to do it? And it's important that you test your idea. I know I said earlier the challenge is about the proof of concept and testing it, but that's a key part. And you're able to adapt listening to the end user. So don't be very um, rigid on your mission, on your <laughs> plans, you know, um, be flexible and able to adapt, always with a vision in mind, you know, what problem are you trying to solve? And so as an entrepreneur, it's important that you build a personal brand around that vision, about around your values, um, so you can attract uh, a team, the right talent, uh, to help you achieve uh, that mission. But also it's important that you build a strong network and you really take care of that network. And um, also other things that I can say is that the life of an entrepreneur is uh, full of up and downs. <laughs> it's not always pretty. <laughs> there are bad moments as well. So yes, have to keep strong and keep fighting. Even um, you know, in the low moments, um, you have to be very resilient. And I think we touched at the beginning before we started this podcast how important it is to always keep learning and developing yourself. You know, um, don't think that you know everything, that you are the king of the world. <laughs> you know, it's always important to, to keep learning and improving. Great, yeah, I think that's really valuable insights. Um, absolutely, and uh, I guess, uh, how did you, just one of the points that I want to elaborate on, so how did you, when you were facing those lows, and how did you kind of keep perspective of, 
of or it's hard of course it's easier said than done but how how is it just a case of uh you know just keeping perspective right so i think that it's very important that you have the vision as i said and yeah. um over the past years um I've been doing um, workshops or so I have had coaches that have taught me about, um, you know, the mission, your personal mission, your professional mission, your family mission, and how important it is that you think about how you see yourself in five years, in 10 years, you know, and, and make an action plan for that. And when you are in the low moments, revisit that mission, you know, and yeah. revisit those yeah. values and say, this is how I see myself in five years. Now yeah. it is a bad moment, but I can get there, you know, yeah. and have that vision of yourself there and just go for it. Believe in yourself um, because you can do it. A lot of mm. people have done it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's, not, it's not always easy, but we also... I guess we learn and uh, the greatest lessons from those uh, low moments. So it's also important that you, when those, they go by, you reflect and you you do take um, lessons from from those moments. Finally, I, we always just like to ask our guests of any books that they might recommend or or what is the the favorite book that you read in the recent past that you would like to yeah. recommend. I have it in my hand. So <laughs> Perfect. I love Entangled Life. Wow, you cannot see. Entangled <laughs> Life by yeah. uh, Marilyn Sheldrake. So how fungi make our walls, change our minds and shape our futures. Beautifully written and um, it's, it's really insightful. I, I love fungi, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, uh, as you said, you've got to be passionate about what you do. <laughs> but I think that has been one of my favorite books over the past years. Then if we discuss about leadership or entrepreneurship, some some books that uh, have helped me um, say uh, no bullshit leadership. And um, that was a good uh, book and also what they don't teach you at Harvard at Harvard Business School. I found I found those books especially insightful. But um yeah I will definitely recommend everyone to to read Entangled Life by Merlin Mer uh, Sheldrick. Amazing. Oh, I'll definitely add that to my list. And uh, so thank you so much for your time today, Angela. I, I'm sure everyone's found it really interesting learning about the significance and the importance of microbes and understanding a bit more about agriculture. Thank you so much for your time today and we really appreciate it. And thank you for, for inviting me. It's been it's been a pleasure and I I do hope that I was able to raise awareness about um, the need to uh, help uh, provide tools uh, to growers so they can produce more uh, using less and at FA Bio we are doing that with microbes.